Well, this morning as we begin uh, together here, our message will be focusing on the Memorial Day weekend and uh, using the Memorial Day weekend as our springboard for our spiritual lessons this morning. I want to begin with a couple of quotes. Uh, for instance, this one here, freedom makes a huge requirement of every human being. With freedom comes responsibility. And I just wanted to kind of you to focus on that first sentence there. Freedom makes a huge requirement of every human being. So there's a requirement of all of us to enjoy the freedom that has been given to us. So that's the first quote. Here's another quote for you. May we never forget freedom isn't free. Okay? Freedom isn't free. There was a cost to freedom. To the freedom that we enjoy and the privileges that go with it, in this great nation, there was a cost for that freedom. And we need to remember that. And so we do thank our men and women who are in the service for securing our freedom for us. But freedom does come with a price, all right? And I believe that this principle of, you know, freedom coming with a, with a price, I believe that principle, that whole thought and idea applies to the Christian life, okay? If you want to experience freedom in your life as a follower of Jesus Christ, there's a price tag that goes with your freedom, okay? You have a responsibility if you're going to enjoy your freedom. Your freedom as a follower of Jesus Christ comes with a cost, See, to live free from the God of materialism or idolatry, a price must be paid. For you to live free from worry, you have to pay a price. To live free from guilt, you need to understand that there's a price involved to experience freedom from guilt. To be free from bitterness. And anger, you, you have to pay a price to experience that freedom. You see, freedom comes with a cost. Now, the cost that I'm referring to is not life itself, okay? We're not talking about laying your life down as our servicemen and servicewomen have done for us so that we can experience freedom and all those privileges. Fortunately, we don't have to lay down our life, but there was somebody who did lay down their life for us, and, of course, that was Jesus Christ. He's done all the hard work. He's laid his life down so that we could be free. But to live in freedom and to live in that and enjoy that freedom that Jesus has secured for us, we need to fight. See, there is a cost to our freedom. There is a responsibility assigned to each of us regarding our freedom in Christ. You are in a daily battle, and in this daily battle, you fight for your freedom. Well, the battle that is spoken of is in Ephesians chapter 6. So if you have a copy of God's Word, join me in Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 10 through 18. And again, this is a passage that uh, uh, situates us or causes us to focus on that battle that we are all engaged in. So follow along as I read verses 10 through 18. 
spiritual battle. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Here ends our reading of our passage this morning. Well, in verse 11 here, as we were reading through this particular passage, verse 11, uh, you as a believer are instructed to put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes, okay? Remember, you are in a battle, and you're fighting the devil, and he has schemes, all right? He has strategies in order to trip you up and cause you to fail. So the question that I raise and that we will answer as well is, what are the devil's schemes? I mean, if we're going to fight and maintain our freedom, we need to know and understand how the devil operates. We need to know what his schemes are. We need to be familiar with our enemy and know his strategies. That's important if we're going to fight and continue to enjoy our freedom. I want to share with you an illustration. I've shared this illustration before because I think it's a real great illustration. In fact, I think it's even more appropriate now that we are kind of on, kind of on the, uh, well, we've kind of passed, but what was it, a couple weeks ago in the news, there was a couple guys riding bikes and they were attacked by a mountain lion. You remember the story? And uh, so that was going on. So with that kind of in our minds, I want to again come back to this particular illustration regarding uh, mountain lions. Uh, this particular story is about uh, Craig Childs. Craig Childs was a biologist, and he was studying mountain lions. And the story goes that he was up in the uh, mountains in the Arizona area, and studying mountain lions, and he came up on a mountain lake or just a small little lake, a place for water. And as he was coming, he was downwind, but as he came and approached that lake, he noticed that there was a mountain lion drinking from this particular lake. And so rather than startling the lion and so forth, he remained back and just kind of observed and watched this lion. And, of course, this mountain lion drank and then uh, filtered back into the brush and as he watched it disappear, you know, he waited for a while and eventually concluded, you know, I think it's probably safe to go and see what was going on up there at the lake. So he proceeds to go up to the lake. And uh, anyhow, here's what he uh, shares with us as he goes up 
to look at the lake. He examines the tracks and stuff like that, and he's a biologist, so he's taking notes. And uh, anyhow, when he gets up there and begins looking around, looking at the tracks and so forth, he picks up his eyes and looks into the brush, and as he looks into the brush, he sees two eyes glaring back at him, okay? So there he is, that mountain lion. He has not disappeared as he was hoping. So here's his story. Here's what he says. Mountain lions are known to take down animals six, seven, and eight times their size. Their method attack, their method of attack, attack from behind, clamp onto the spine at the base of the prey's skull, and snap the spine. The top few vertebrae are the target, housing respiratory and motor skills that cease instantly when the cord is cut. Mountain lions have stalked people for miles, he says. He says, here I am. I hold firm to my ground and do not even suggest that I will back off. If I run, it is certain. I will have a mountain lion all over me. If I give it my back, I will only briefly feel its weight on me against the ground. The canine teeth will open my vertebrae without breaking a single bone. The mountain lion begins to move to my left, and I turn to my left, keeping my face on the animal. The mountain lion goes to my right, and I repeat the procedure. I keep the animal in front of me. I meet his glance face to face. He paces to my right, trying to get around me on the other side, and then, it's turned, and then it paces to the left, Again, trying to get behind me. But he says, I maintain my defense. I keep my face in the face of the lion, given no ground. Childs maintains that the defense, as the mountain lion continues, is to, tr- is to try to provoke him to run. That's what the lion wants. Wants him to run, turning left, then right, back and forth again trying to make him run. He says, now, just 10 feet away, this lion is. Finally, the standoff ends, he says. The lion turns and walks away, defeated by a man who knew what never to do in its presence. So Mr. Childs, our biologist, he understands the enemy, if you will. It's the mountain lion. You do not turn your back on a mountain lion. You keep them front and center. You stare them down. That's how you defeat a lion. Because if you turn and run, you become cat food, okay? You become cat food. Well, we as believers, in order for us to experience the freedom that Jesus Christ has secured for us, we need to know our enemy. And of course, our enemy is Satan. And Satan has schemes, and he uses these schemes to defeat us, to, to trip us up. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to know what these schemes are so that we can stand up against the lion. Remember, and Peter refers to Satan as a roaring lion. In order to stand up against this lion, we need to know how he operates. Well, using our uh, scripture passage this morning, Ephesians chapter 6, 
Uh, we're going to use that to come up with the numerous schemes that Satan uses to try to defeat us. Now, if you remember, in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul instructs the believer, here's how you fight. You fight by putting on the armor of God, remember? And so he says, you put on the armor of God by first putting on the belt of truth, right? Then he says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. And he says, make sure your feet are fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace and so forth. Well, as we look at each of those pieces of armor, there is an opposite of that piece of armor. And that opposite, I believe, conveys the devil's scheme. So we'll look at the piece of armor that we are to put on as followers of Jesus Christ, and we will also highlight, which I believe is Satan's scheme in order to defend or to defeat us in those particular areas. So come along with me. As we put on the full armor of God, we are first instructed there in verse 14 to put on the belt of truth. Now, the belt of truth, especially when it came to, uh, you know, an army person who was fitting himself for battle, the belt kind of held everything together, okay? The belt uh, kept the pants up, so to speak. If you didn't have a belt, everything else would fall off or get in your way. So, anyhow, the belt held everything together, and that's, remember, that's important to remember. Understand that the belt of truth holds everything in place. So the opposite of truth, remember the belt of truth, the opposite of truth is lie, right? And now we're being exposed to one of the schemes of Satan is lies, falsehoods, untruth. That's what Satan uses to trip us up. In fact, in John chapter 8, verse 44, we are told that Satan is a liar. And then it goes on to explain, when he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. So one of the obvious schemes that Satan uses to mess with us is untruth. Okay, He uses untruth. He will hurl lies at you in order to destroy you. So I ask, what lie do you believe? Do you want to be free from that lie? Well, then, if you want to be free from that lie, fight. Okay? Remember, freedom comes with a cost. Our freedom in this nation was secured by men and women who fought. For you to experience freedom in your Christian life, you too must fight. Well, how can you fight? How can you fight lies, Satan's scheme? Well, here, here's a practical suggestion. Get on, uh, get, get on Amazon or something and order. you can order a little book. It's called Bible Promises. Bible Promises. And what is really neat about this little book, Bible Promises, is that they are categorized. So if you are dealing with fear, they've done the work for you. Here are the promises that you can claim regarding fear. If you are dealing with anger and bitterness, they've done the work for us. Here are the Bible promises that you can read and implement that deal with bitterness and anger. So let me encourage you to get a Bible promise book, or if you got one, take it out. If you don't want to get the book, here's something you can do. You can go on Google, and you can Google, you know, Bible passages for fear, or Scripture passages for anxiety, or scripture passages for loneliness, 
get those. Because to fight on truth, to fight on truth, you got to use the weapon of truth. Okay? Use the weapon of truth. Continuing on with our armor, the believer is next instructed to put on the breastplate of righteousness. You'll see that in verse 14 as well. Uh, a simple definition, and this is my definition, a simple definition of righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness, simple definition is this, right living, okay? Righteousness equals right living. If you refer to that individual as being a righteous person, you are making a statement about his behavior or her behavior. They are engaged in doing what is right. So right living is your righteousness. Now the scheme that Satan will implement, okay, in order to keep you from doing what is right is what we call temptation, okay? That's what he's going to do. He's, he's going to come with temptation. Here, here's the scary thing. Satan knows your temptation. It, your temptation is no secret to the evil one. He knows what it is, okay? In fact, he's probably already trying to exploit you in that particular area. And you as well know what your temptation is. You know. You know. Why do we, you know? Because there is something that you're struggling with, okay? And you've told yourself many, many times, I need to stop, right? Why in the world am I doing this? Or you've even prayed, God, Man, can you take this away from me? So you know your temptation. You fight temptation by doing the right thing. That's how you fight it. Remember, your freedom comes with a cost. Your freedom from your temptation has a price tag. And that price tag is for you to fight. You fight by using God's truth and so forth. Um, and you fight your temptation just simply by doing, doing the right thing. Uh, here's a story. Tim and Joseph uh, Tim and Joseph ended up at a party together. And this was one of those alcohol parties. And, of course, at this party were many minors. And the peer pressure was great for Tim and Joseph to join in with the fun. But Tim and Joseph said, no thanks. Got back in the car, and they went home. Well, the local police received a tip about this party, and they raided it. And many miners found their names in the local paper and are now facing legal ramifications. But there's two young men whose names are not in the paper, who are not facing legal ramifications. It's Tim and Joseph. They were protected because they did the right thing. They did the right thing. That's how you fight the devil, by doing the right thing. The Bible also says that you are to put on your army boots, and that's in verse 15. It doesn't say army boots. Here's what it really says. It says, you know, uh, your feet need to be fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. 
Your feet need to be fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Uh, what, I, what I want to focus on here in this verse is the word readiness. You see it there? Uh, fit your feet with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. You see, being ready and alert is important to defeating the enemy. Being ready and alert will help you be victorious over your enemy. And since readiness is important, I believe the evil scheme that Satan tries to implement in our lives is that of complacency. So that is what I believe Satan will use, complacency, to trip us up. Instead of being ready, we are often complacent. Well, you'll never experience freedom in your Christian life if you're complacent. And here, here's what complacency sounds like. You're complacent if you like to say, well, you know what, I'll do that tomorrow. I guess that could also be procrastination. But you put it off. I'll do that tomorrow. That's complacency. Or I don't have time. I just don't have time, you know, to get that promise book, you know, or Google the promises. I just don't have time. Okay, complacency. Or it won't work. It's just a bunch of words on a piece of paper. Again, back to promises. Oh, I know the Bible says that thing, says those promises, but they don't work. Or you blame somebody else. Oh, it's someone else's problem. Okay, that's all complacency. That's complacency. And that's what Satan uses to rob us of our freedom in Jesus Christ. But understand, to enjoy your freedom, you've got to fight. You've got to fight complacency. You've got to take the bull by the horn, so to speak, and you've got to press on. So that's how you fight. Our next, pa- our next passage here, verse says, uh, take up the shield of faith. Okay, remember, we're fighting the evil one. We're in a battle. You're in this battle regardless. If you don't want to be in this battle, it's tough. You're in this battle, okay? So you might as well uh, get in the fight here. So here's what the other one. When you're in this fight against Satan, uh, take up the shield of faith, it says. That's in Ephesians 6, 16 there, verse 16. Take up that shield of faith. Um, well, the scheme that Satan uses, remember, is always the opposite. It's the scheme of unbelief. Okay, take up your faith and fight. Satan wants to trip you up and get you to begin to exercise unbelief. That's what he he wants you to do. Well, you defeat your unbelief by acting on God's word and promises. Okay, now we're back to the Bible promise book. Remember that? Okay, or Googling the promises. You know, it's a simple book listing those promises of God. And we fight the unbelief by getting into God's word again, getting into the promises. And you act on those promises. And as you act on that promise, victory is experienced. You give the enemy a good a good bloody nose, if you will. But it came because you acted on the promise. You said no to unbelief, and you grabbed hold of faith in God's word. 
In verse 17, we're instructed to put on, take up the helmet of salvation. We take up the shield of faith, which extinguishes the arrows of the evil one, the flaming arrows. Here in verse 17, we take up the helmet of salvation. Well, the scheme that Satan uses to raise havoc is doubt. He doesn't want you to believe you are saved. That's how Satan works. He doesn't want you believing that you are a child of the king. He don't want that. He doesn't want you have confidence and certainty that you'll be in heaven. What he wants you to have is an unrest. He wants you to have doubt regarding your eternal destination. Again, how do we fight that? You go back to the promises. Do you have a Bible promise book? Are you thinking about Googling some promises? Good for you. Because here's how you fight this doubt. I'm going to give you a gem right at this time, a jewel. John 10, 28, regarding your salvation. Jesus says, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. You've probably played that game before where you put a quarter in your hand or a penny or whatever, and the challenge is to the person in front of you, see if they can grab that out of your hand before you can close it. Okay. You're in the hand of God, and God is so big and so powerful and so quick that the devil can never take you out of his hand. That's a promise. We're back to the Bible promise book. We got to get it. That's how you're going to fight. That's how you're going to fight to maintain your freedom. So doubt. It's destroyed by the promise of God. Six piece of armor here. We're in 17 again, verse 17 of Ephesians 6. Uh, after taking up the helmet of salvation, he says, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Of course, he defines what the sword of the Spirit is for us. He doesn't leave us guessing. It is the Word of God. And there seems to be a reoccurring theme in, this, uh, in the, these items of our armor, doesn't there? You bet. The Word of God. So the sword here is God's Word. That's what we use to fight the enemy. Well, what is the scheme that the devil will use? He doesn't want us in the Word of God, so what's he going to use? Well, here's what I think the devil's scheme is. Satan uses the world, okay? Satan uses the world. He doesn't want us in the Word. He wants us in the world. That's his scheme. Now, we've spent some time in the past, in previous messages, talking about the world. In fact, here's a passage from 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. The instruction is this, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him, okay? Now, what is this world that Satan uses? Well, that world, if you remember, the world refers to that system of beliefs, those 
philosophical ideas, that way of thinking that is contrary, that is anti to God. That's the world. For example, the world says, hey, you are responsible for your destination. That's what the world says. You got to work hard. You got to put in the time. And when you achieve all the wealth, you know, then you've arrived. That's the world's philosophy. Whereas God's philosophy is, no, you can't make it on your own. There's no way. Allow me to come into your life. And your wealth and your worth is in relationship with me. See, there's an anti. The devil always has an anti. So we are to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That is what we use. That is the truth. And we fight the devil's scheme of the world by following into line with God's Word. That's how we fight it. Well, lastly here, pray in the Spirit of all, on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Well, the obvious piece of armor here, or our, we could say our weapon of defense when it comes to the evil one is prayer. Prayer is our battle weapon. Well, here's the scheme. Here's the opposite. Here's, the enemy doesn't want you praying. He wants you to be self-reliant. Okay? That's the anti. He wants you to be self-reliant. When you're self-reliant, you don't talk to God. Here's a quick little pop, pop quiz. When things are going pretty good in your life, you're enjoying, you have a great weekend, you know, it's fun being with family, you know, just rolling right along. Are you praying? Now, let's say, you know, somebody has cancer in your family or so-and-so is upset with you, okay, and things are falling apart. Are you praying then? You bet you are because you realize, oh, I need help. I'm not, self, I'm not self-sufficient. I'm not self-reliant at all. Well, anyhow, prayer is our weapon, but Satan wants us to be self-reliant, thinking we can do it all, trying to keep God out of the picture. But what we want to do is we want to be prayer warriors. Okay, we're back to this whole idea of our freedom. We've got to fight for it. And warriors pray. That's how they fight. I hope you're praying, because that's how you're going to experience true freedom in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, as we wrap up here, I wrap up with a little story uh, from a military, military story regarding prayer and the power of prayer. Well, the story is told of one soldier who lived with that confidence even as he found himself in the heat of battle. He believed in prayer. Well, during the Korean War, one man was hurt badly on the battlefield of Heartbreak Ridge. His buddies were in a foxhole about 50 yards away when the man was hit by sniper fire in an ambush. As the fire continued, the other men discussed among themselves what to do. But since the sniper fire was too intense, to crawl out and bring back their wounded buddy would mean almost certain death for the rest. For a while, no one would move. The men in the foxhole could hear their wounded friend yelling for help. Then one of the men in the foxhole began looking intensely at his own watch. He could not keep his eyes off of it. All the others in the foxhole 
foxhole noticed this and began to ask questions. But the soldier with the watch remained silent. Well, all of a sudden, the man with the watch jumped out of the foxhole and crawled over to the wounded buddy. He then grabbed him by the collar and very slowly dragged him back to the foxhole. All the while, sniper fire whizzing around. Both amazingly made it back to the foxhole without any injury. After the sniper fire had died down, the man who saved his buddy was asked why he waited so long to crawl after his wounded friend. To which he responded, My mom said every day at the exact same time she would be praying for me. And according to my watch, I left the foxhole exactly when she started praying. You're in a battle. And to be freed from those things that ensnare us, whether it's the temptations, whether it's doubt, whether it's self-reliance, to be free from those things, we have to fight. God has equipped us. God has equipped you. You are dressed for battle. But there's a price to your freedom. I'm not talking your life but I am asking you to fight. Let's pray. Lord God, thanks again for the challenge before us this morning. Lord, we do enjoy some wonderful privileges because of our men and women who sacrificed, who gave all. And Lord, we're so thankful for those who gave and are with us too. They are our brothers and they are our sisters and we rejoice with them. But because of their service, Lord, we experience wonderful freedoms. And Heavenly Father, because of your sacrifice of your one and only Son, we experience freedoms as well. But they come with a cost. May we continue to fight for those spiritual freedoms that you have guaranteed to us because of our faith in your Son, Jesus. May we not give up, but may we press on and persevere. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.